Everyone has a relationship with gender. What's your story? Hello and welcome to Gender Stories with your host, Dr. Alex Yantafi. Hello and welcome to another episode of Gender Stories. I know I'm always very excited, but I am extra fanboy excited today because I get to interview Sage Cotugno, and I'll tell you in a minute why I'm so excited about interviewing Sage. Sage is a queer, mixed-race Victorian horror nerd born and raised in Los Angeles, California. They're a director, writer, and storyboard artist in the animation industry, and have previously worked on projects such as Gravity Falls, The Owl House, and Star vs. the Forces of Evil. The Glass Scientist will be their first published graphic novel, and I will put a link to their link tree in the episode description so you can go and order the book and see all of the other links to Sage's wonderful work and Sage's work on Owl House, which is one of the favorite animations, uh, cartoons in our house. I've watched it all with my oldest, with my daughter, and we're big fans, which is why I'm like extra fanboy excited. Thank you so much for making time for Gender Stories. Sage, welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So you, I, I know I'm excited about Owl House and maybe we'll talk about it, but I really want to talk about your graphic novel. This is your first graphic novel. And so tell me about kind of what inspired you to write this novel, you know, and to kind of move more from animation towards the kind of graphic novel world, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'll just give like a quick intro to the book itself. I actually finally got my author copies in the mail so I can actually show this on screen. I think they came out really nice. Oh my Um, God, if you're watching this on YouTube, the cover looks so good. Yes. Thank you. Um, It took so many iterations. I am not a natural like cover artist, but I feel like I think it came out pretty cute. Um, But anyway, so quick little elevator pitch to the story. Um, The Glass Scientist, it's a YA graphic novel. Um, it is a reimagining of classic characters from gothic science fiction. Um, and it specifically follows the story of a young Dr. Henry Jekyll as he tries to create a safe haven for mad scientists in a treacherous alternate Victorian London filled with bubbling potions and misunderstood monsters. So, you know, if you enjoy the fantasy horror elements of Owl House, I think it could be a really fun fit for you. It's got some comedy. It's got some, you know, spooky adventures. Um, has a lot of like internal turmoil it has some queer romance um so it's got it's got all the things <laughs> um oh, yeah so exciting and and let's talk about queer romance a little bit because yes. like it's hard to kind of get that queer romance maybe for an animation mm-hmm. world although i think how allows does such a great job mm-hmm. of that so what was it like for you to represent the queer romance in your graphic novel it was a real journey because you know i think you know we have evolved so much in terms of, you know, my main industry, which is animation, is in terms of like, what is possible for queer romance in particular over the time that I've been in the industry. I've been in the industry for about 10 years now. And when we first started, before I entered, it was such a non, it was not even something that was even talked about. You know, this was so much earlier than, you know, Disney's 
25th first gay character, you know, um, to the point that like, I have a very clear memory of, you know, I had a, one of the kind of origins of the story was, you know, role playing out these characters, you know, in a role play setting, just like, you know, on, on chat um, with my friends. And one of my friends was like, oh, I would like to have my own animated show one day, but it's really important to me that my main character gets to be gay. And like, I, I kind of laughed at them at the time. And I was like, that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. They will never allow that, which sounds, which sounds so weird today, right? We've come so far, but at the time it truly felt like this will never happen in kids animation. Um, yeah. Um, and I think I started to kind of change my vibes on that one. Um, this was before I came out. So um, I came out as bi when I was about 22. So at 20, 2012, I want to say. Um, and so, of course, you know, that's going to change my my feelings on the subject quite a bit. Um, but I think it first started to change when I was on Gravity Falls, um, which is my first show, which was a wonderful show to work on. Loved it. Mm-hmm. I learned so much. Um, when I was a few months in, I had so it had so happened that I got put on a lot of kind of romance based episodes. Um, and I actually don't traditionally love romance. Um, I think for some reason, especially straight romance. Um, and so I was a little bit just like, Hmm, this is just not very fun for me. Um, and kind of on a whim, I was like, man, why can't we have a queer romance? I can't explain why, but that would just be so much more interesting and that was the first time I really ran up against um, just how difficult it could actually be to push that forward. Um, you know, this is a little bit right before kind of the early queer kisses. I'm not sure how you're familiar with like the, the great history of like, like late stage queer confirmed characters, like your Cora's, your yeah. um, Marceline. Um, Steven Universe, I feel like, is the one that really kind of blew open the doors on that. Um because I feel like before then there just there just wasn't, and I was kind of right before that moment. Um, mm. And at the time, we got um, a lot of resistance to that. And I will avoid going into too much detail because I'm like I still want to have relationships with these studios, <laughs> but yeah. it was really really hard. And the representation we were trying to get through was so much smaller. It was like a blink and you miss it. And I think there's a tendency nowadays to come at it from a perspective of like, oh, why would you go for these blink and you miss it things? Oh, it must be just because we're trying to cut it out for China or so that conservatives won't get mad. Whereas um, I think for me, when you're first fighting for those things, those itty bitty moments can represent months and months of work, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we were chatting a little bit beforehand about, you know, like how different generations have different expectations for representation. And I think in a, in a way, it's actually, it's, it's really great that younger folks are demanding more and they should, you know, but coming from an older perspective, I, you know, I am st- in a way still surprised to get any gay Disney characters, um, you know, much less the, I mean, obviously we want the more meaty, more substantial characters, but like, it really wasn't a thing back in the day. Um, all of this is just say that like when I first started the glass scientists, I wasn't sure if I was like brave enough to really write the queer romance that I ended up writing into it, you know? Um, and I think honestly, 
I had to be sort of convinced. I had all these like little schemes in my head where like on half of me was like, I want to write this super gay thing. And the other half was like, no, we cannot. It is impossible. I don't know what accent that was supposed to be, but like, it's you know, like, it just, it felt just like, I can't even exactly describe. It just felt so taboo to do that. I would write these like weird half steps of like, Oh, these characters are going to sleep together, but then uh, they'll be so drunk that they don't remember. And they never talk about it again. And I think my first, um, my first girlfriend was kind of like, mm, that's kind of a cop out. You know, maybe you should do more than that. Um, and they kind of challenged me in that space. Um, all this to say that, you know, it's over time, I've kind of pushed more and more and more in the realm of having more explicit queer romance. I think the thing that finally pushed me over the edge, like, no, I really want to commit to this. I really want to tell this story, um, was I stumbled across uh, Mackenzie Lee's book, um, A Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you familiar? I have heard of it. I haven't read it, but yes. It is. It's really good. It's delightful. Um, it's First of all, it's just, it's just like a really well-written story. It's just like really solid. It's like, mm, satisfying. It makes me mad that I didn't write it. Um, but it is also just like a very beautifully realized queer story that takes place mm-hmm. in the 18th century. Um, and the main character is just like flamingly bisexual and, but like, so like, you can tell that it was written by a bi author, you know, it just like, it just, just, it's just so beautiful and so perfect. Um, and that was just kind of like my realization of like, no, I want to write this. I have this deep desire. I've seen, now I've seen it done well. Now I want to do it myself, you know? Um, yeah, so yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> and yeah, I really, oh, sorry. I didn't mean oh, to Oh, no, no, I was, just, I was good. I just, <laughs> I'm good. Um, I just, you know, I was getting so excited as you were talking because I'm like, yes, I think if I'm doing my math right from you mentioning 2012, I was like, I think I got like 20 years on you as somebody who's over 50. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I've been out as bi for nearly a quarter of a century, which feels like wow. a long time, a mm-hmm. longer than that, actually. And um, yeah, and, you know, I didn't think I was going to see kind of so much queerness on Disney Plus in my lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. And then I have, uh, you know, my oldest was like, oh, if it's, if it's not queer, I don't even want to watch it <laughs> you know, on Netflix or on Disney. And I'm like, oh, that is, you know, my kids live in a totally different world mm-hmm. than I lived in, right? It's just like the access. And, and I have a lot of um, um, compassion and understanding for younger folks who are like, that's not enough, you know, when there's mm-hmm. a glimpse that you mentioned but for me I'm like oh my god a glimpse I didn't think yeah. I would see this in my lifetime you know there was nothing when I first came out like in my 20s you know yeah. years ago there was just so little representation you know I remember staying up late at night to watch kind of you know lesbian movies that, that would show like a midnight or something mm-hmm. you know on tv um but yes I never thought that I would see um Things like, you know, the new Shira or Our mm-hmm. House or where there is actually what I consider pretty open queer representation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for kids. So it is pretty exciting. And I'm so glad that you kind of took the plunge and you're like, I'm going to go for this queer romance. And when we were talking earlier, you also said something about how your gender journey kind of unfolded as you were writing The Glass Scientist. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious whether that feels kind of connected to this kind of inner dialogue you were having with yourself around the queer romance or this yeah tell me more about your gender journey as you were writing the glass scientist 
Yeah. So I feel like when I was growing up, I didn't know any trans people whatsoever. My parents didn't really know any queer people of any way, shape or form. And, you know, it just, it was not even remotely in the zeitgeist at the time. Um, and again, like if I can like shouting out again, like previous problematic beliefs I had, I think the first time I heard about non-binary identity, I was kind of like, that's stupid. You know, like, oh, like if you could just like choose your gender, like everybody would change their gender, which is like, I mean, in retrospect, it's kind of like, hmm, maybe explore a little bit in that space. Um, And I think over time, you know, again, it became more of a topic. I think for me, I'm the sort of person where I sort of need to understand things intellectually before I can feel them properly, probably, you know, possible neurodivergence thing. Um, I really relate to, um, have you read um, Alison Bechtel's Fun Home? Oh, yes. Yeah. I've read everything Alison Bechtel has yes. ever read. Uh, oh, yes. my God, I love her. But, like, I love how, like, she discovered she was gay from, like, reading about it in a book. And I'm like, yes, yes. that's it. That's all the Yeah. Like, I can't process something just by feeling it. I need to, like, see it reflected back. Um, and I think, weirdly, like, working in animation, working in comics – um, a lot of there's a good chunk of work that is kind of busy work was like coloring stuff, inking stuff. You need to be listening to something in order to not go absolutely insane from just boredom. Um, and so like I listen to, you know, you wander down YouTube rabbit holes and you discover contrapoints and you discover philosophy tube and you discover um, a lot of folks like trans folks speaking about mm-hmm. these issues and and like suddenly being like, oh, I'm very interested in the subject. Like, oh, this feels like really, really interesting to me. I wonder why. Um, and you kind of enter that kind of like really good ally space <laughs> where like oh, yes. you just know way too much about a certain subject. Oh, um, yes, the part that I know mm-hmm. of ally to trans yes. person. Mm-hmm. familiar. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think from there, what was sort of an egg crack moment for me, like, I like to say that I didn't so much discover that I was trans as much that I discovered that cis people existed because I started to have these conversations, you know, with like my roommate where I'd be kind of like, um, I had seen like a meme on like trans Reddit, which I was of course checking on just casually for fun. Um, I, there was like this meme of like, if you could just press a button and change your gender, would you? Um, which I really like because I like that it's separating out like the stress of social transition and medical. It's like all the barriers and the the ugh, the, the things that would norm would make anyone hesitate and just Absolutely. be like, if if magic existed, would you do it? You know. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, that's silly because everyone would do that, like, right? Hey, who wouldn't? <laughs> yeah. Like, who wouldn't take advantage of that? <laughs> yeah, but then my roommate was kind of like, mm, I wouldn't like. I like being a woman. And I was like, really? Like, why? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> um, and then I also remember going out shopping with some folks who I thought was like, you know, it was very queer, a little bit gender nonconforming people. And I had the same conversation. And they were also kind of like, mm, no, I-, I like being a woman. Like, that's a big thing for me. And me being like, what? Really? You know, and that kind of made me aware of like, oh, if they feel like that and I feel like this, then maybe that's a sign of something. And I feel like that was kind of my egg crack moment. Um, and as all this was happening, you know, I was writing The Glass Scientists um, and I had sort of stumbled into having a trans character in the main cast. 
um, just out of curiosity. I feel like we were relatively early, again, like 2014-ish discussions about representation and wanting a very diverse cast um, were things I didn't grow up with, but were becoming a conversation. And so I was like, oh, trans people exist. We should have a trans character in the main cast. You know, let's let's do it. And so I kind of made my main character, one of my main characters trans um, before I realized that I was trans. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the time that I ended up writing his backstory, I had come out as trans. And so like, there was this interesting journey where like, I suddenly actually had the tools to write this thing, which would have been like, oh, writing this totally different identity. Be like, oh no, I guess this is my story actually, (laughs) you know? Um, So uh, that's one thing like one I had a, a canon trans character but I think what was equally important to me was that like since I was like a little kid um I think since I discovered like anime <laughs> um arguably since I'd watched the Lion King um Scar is a very important character for me these very like flamboyant Disney villains I've always been really drawn to um instantly oh, yeah. you know Characters like Scar, like Jafar, they were animated by Andres, uh, Andre Deja, I think is how you pronounce his name, who is, um, uh, who else, who is gay himself. So, like, that's kind of where that sensibility comes from. Um, obviously, there's all that kind of history in Hollywood of, like, it is a gay coded villain. And yeah. I don't know, I think it's really interesting where, like, there's obviously problematic aspects of the gay coded villain, but, like, also there can be, like, a weird empowerment from it, like, I didn't see characters acting like that unless they were the gay coded villains. So like, oh, I yeah. still love these characters, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's what we had for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I didn't have the words for it back then. And I think, again, I grew up in kind of a casually homophobic society. I think if I'd seen like an actually gay character, I would have been like, "Ugh, I don't like them. They're gay. I'm not gay, so I don't like them. But like the mannerisms without without that label being put onto it, I could just be naturally drawn to them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that makes mm-hmm. sense because it wasn't that other layer of meaning put on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I don't know, also I feel like growing up when there was representation of queer people on screen, it was often a super narrow idea. And I think especially for me, what really was difficult was like how bi women in particular were portrayed. And I think, especially like the mid two thousands, I want to say, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas like either, you know, well, not either, but I think usually it was just that like they are, you know, eye candy for men to look at. It was like, oh, two girls making out, but then they're going to make out with me too because they're bi. And so like, I think I've really struggled in my life of like seeing like sexuality as something you can own as opposed to something that allows people to own you, you know, that it's like, Oh, you express sexuality. And now you are like something that someone else can enjoy, you know, like you're no longer your own. And so for me, the over sexualization of bisexual women in particular really discouraged me from coming out growing up. Yeah. Um, All this to say that like, I had a hard time connecting with, you know, real queer characters, the few that were there. So I tended to connect more with like a vibe. Um, and, you know, whether that's the Disney villain vibe, or just kind of like, I think Prince gender is how I always tend to describe it. Yeah. Of like this mm-hmm. very specific type of masculinity. Right. Um, and I was always drawn to that, but I feel like it, you didn't see a, a ton of it or it was a source. It was like the butt of a joke, 
you know, like, oh, you know, like, I have such a very strong memory of, um, again, going to animation 2012, queer representation, gender nonconformity with so was not a subject. I have oh, yeah. such a strong memory of going on um, John Kay's blog. John Kay is a creator of the show Ren and Stimpy. Um, he is not a good guy, uh, very not, no predator, very bad person. But like, I, I didn't know that at the time. He just seemed like, oh, he's a successful animation person. He mm-hmm. He's very opinionated. He must be right about things. And he had this blog post just ranting about Disney princes and how like unmasculine they were and how like they were just like gross and embarrassing and just like not real men. So even though I was drawn to this type of masculinity, I was kind of like, maybe I shouldn't be, maybe this is just like a teen girl fantasy. And like, you know, we all know how much interests of teen girls are stigmatized. So Mm -hmm. I was drawn to it, but I felt like, Oh, this isn't very serious. This isn't real. This is like a fantasy. Um, but, you know, like when I was writing Glass Line, it's like, hey, I can write whatever I want. <laughs> so I'm going to write, you know, this beautiful princely man as my main character, not intentionally being like, oh, this is my gender. Just like I am drawn to this. I want to write this guy. I am just compelled to write him. And what I discovered you know, when I put him out into the world, was I like, oh, it's not just me and my really weird specific interests. Like there are people who also are drawn to this character. And specifically, like a good amount of transmasculine people were drawn to this character. And I think seeing them able to express their gender and to express like, hey, like, I really like this character and I want to present like them, like him, was like very inspiring to me. And I realized that you, that was something you could actually do, you know? Um, and I hadn't really realized that before. And so I feel like that was a really big opening up moment for me. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, oh my God, when you're talking about Disney princess, I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, um, what I would call like a queer masculinity, right? There's a, yes. a certain mm-hmm. essence of queer masculinity, which uh, definitely as a, uh, queer trans mask person I was like oh yeah that's probably why I was into this like Disney princess princess mm-hmm. you know but, um I was always like yeah the princesses are fine that's an interesting like style you know for mm-hmm. the Disney princess, absolutely uh, oh, yeah. I have so many thoughts I love also what you were saying about sexuality as something that's like for other people to consume mm-hmm. rather than for ourselves yeah. I think that's so true with bisexuality and how it's mm-hmm. represented right and um uh, which is problematic, no matter the gender mm-hmm. of you. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. there's like different stereotypes are hurtful in different ways. Um, but yeah, I feel like the conversation could go into so many different directions <laughs> from here. So I'm going to take a minute to think, we, well, where where do we want to go from here, really? Because, you know, like, oh, I'm really happy to hear more about your journey with gender as you were writing, The Glass Scientist, or maybe just how um, things evolved since then, if you want to. Yeah, where would you like to go next? Oh gosh, I mean, like, there's there's so many things. I do want to call it something I I wanted to bring up earlier, just really fast. I just want to mm-hmm. shout out, you know, the crew of Owl House, um, and also you know shows like Shira as well. That is really it does makes a huge difference when you have a creator who is queer themselves, who is you know when you're representing a minority and you are from that minority, because just realistically, you know, you're going to come at it from a much more authentic place. Number one, 
Two, you're going to be much more motivated to actually fight for that thing because it is always going to be a fight whenever you're pushing out of the mainstream anything, realistically. And I think three, I feel like with both She-Ra and Owl House, even before the queer romance you know, officially comes in, I feel like there's like queer vibes that are really, really yes. present, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like you can kind of, you feel as an audience member kind of, you know, held, you know, and like, I, I trust this show, you know, like the vibes are there. Um, and it just feels like they have been living in this world. And they know these sensibilities really well. I agree. I remember, you know, when we started watching Our Laos, I was like, I can't believe I'm watching this show that feels so queer, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. then kind of when it became like, when there was a queer romance, I was like, what? this is happening just like that just very mm-hmm. openly you know I couldn't believe it I actually went back and I was like yep no that that really happened you know yeah and again like, it was like yeah of course like you know she was like I could see it coming same with Shira you know she was like watch <laughs> for the end and I was like I was like they're not gonna let them kiss they're not gonna uh-huh. let them do this right that kind of goes back to this idea that this couldn't possibly happen on a mainstream show but it did I know yeah yeah. Yeah. I think that just shows like how, you know, again, like even we are, you know, obviously we live in the present day, but like you carry with you your experience and that sets your expectations so much, you know? I felt so much the same when I watched um, Our Flag Means Death, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just like, even if I'm seeing the GIF sets, I'm just kind of like, that's not real. There's no way that's actually going to happen. Like my brain just is still set for lower expectations in a way. Yeah. Well, and, and I love what you said about even as a creator yourself, you kind of had to, um, I would use the word fight within yourself mm-hmm. almost to just allow yourself to be that expansive. And, you know, as somebody, I mean, I write nonfiction mostly, mm-hmm. but even in the nonfiction is like, mm-hmm. okay, how far can I take it? You know, like, can I talk about colonialism and gender? Can mm-hmm. I talk about, you know, uh, Mac John Barker and I just are just done writing how to understand your relationships. And I think this is our most radical mainstream book yet, you know, bringing in anti-capitalist sensibilities mm. and disability justice, you know, and, and all those concepts in the mainstream, which I think, you know, even 10 years ago and definitely 20 years ago would have been really hard to get published mm-hmm. by mainstream kind of one of the big lives, you know, for example, in publishing. I think, you know, that I don't know if you still feel, you know, I know you're younger than me, but it sounds like you're also feeling that kind of friction inside of like, can I let myself just be fully like be queer on the page, so to speak? <laughs> Absolutely. I think like for me, in a way, my sense of gender and sexuality is always a little bit tied to um, for me, cause I'm also mixed race. And so like, for me, that was kind of like, I've always been like at these kind of split identities very much like in the, not in the intersection of everything, um, which is also another reason why I think I was very drawn to the story of Jekyll and Hyde in particular. Uh, but like, he's not just, you know, a, a, a normal guy who's like possessed by a demon, um, or like a guy fighting an evil thing over there. It's very internal. And it is about a person who like in his very nature is split and comes up with this ridiculous solution of like, I'm just going to take a potion and just split my two halves <laughs> in half. It's sensible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just, like, I'm like, yeah, I get that. I get that. I do the same thing. Um, yeah. But um, for me, like, because I grew up with this experience of feeling very much like not quite belonging to either side, 
you know, where I was always very aware of the fact that I was half Japanese specifically. Um, and I was very aware of the places where I didn't naturally belong. I had to kind of make an effort more to belong. Um, like when I was, I think five or six, um, my aunt, uh, who lives in Germany, lived in Germany, um, uh, came to visit for the first time. And apparently the, the story goes that like, I looked up at my mom and I looked at my sister and I said, two mommies. And in my defense, <laughs> there's two ways you can read this. Um, one is what I think was the more reasonable, which is kind of like, Hey, she's literally your sister. Yeah. She looks a lot like you. But I think my mom was kind of like, oh my God, my child can't tell the difference between Japanese people. <laughs> so she, she signed me up to um, uh, basically an all Japanese American Girl Scout troop um, with kind of the explicit purpose of like, please get to know more Asian people, um, which I think was, was great. You know, like, I think I'm really glad that I got to have that experience. At the same time, I feel like growing up, I was aware of the fact that this was sort of like an artificial thing that had to be done to me, not done to me, but like that I had to be, I had to be kind of inserted into that I was not naturally in this community. And I think that sense that feeling of like, oh, this is part of my identity, but I don't really feel like I belong fully in this identity really came with me um, when it came out as bisexual. Um, I was really, really fortunate that, uh, my first, my first girlfriend, um, was like, they were just very art. I feel like, what's the word? Like they were, were very smart, very, I feel like emotionally intelligent as well. Also like a philosophy major is like a smart ap academic person, um, you know, dating this like cartoon person. <laughs> um, and they were very like on it with like bisexual discourse in a way that I feel like wasn't even really super being, I wasn't, I certainly was not aware of in 2013. I had certainly absorbed all this like biphobic stuff growing up, but they were really great at kind of unpacking stuff. Cause I remember on one of our first dates, I felt so intimidated to be dating a lesbian. I was so intimidated. And I was just like, Oh, I I'm sorry that I haven't been through the struggle. Like you have, I'm sorry that I haven't suffered in the same way. I know that I'm just, you know, I'm just a half gay. And they were like, no, no, like, uh, let's honor your experience. You know, bisexual people go through a very specific struggle and like, could then like, and here's all the statistics and here's yeah. all the biphobic stuff and let's unpack all of that. And they were really, really great at that. Um, which I think is fantastic. Cause like, I've, you know, been on dates with people afterwards who did not have that <laughs> attitude towards bisexual folks. Oh yeah. Having yeah. dated lesbians in the, before the two thousands, I can yeah. assure you that it was not, oh, that my was goodness. not my experience as a bisexual femme at the time. It was much mm -hmm. more like, you're suspicious. You're going to leave me for a man. You're like, you're not a cool lesbian, you know? Yeah, all the shit that you can imagine. So I'm so glad that you had that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was so fortunate, you know. Um, and unfortunately, it was a long distance relationship, so like, it was not, it was not fated to be. But they were, they were great. Um, I couldn't really ask for a better first. If anything, I feel kind of bad. Like, man, they did a lot of education <laughs> on, for me, which was very nice of them. Um, but like, yeah, like. Uh, I think if I'd been hit with like the full force of biphobia coming out, I'm not sure I would have made it. Cause again, I was already primed to feel this like really intense inferiority complex about my sexuality because of how I already felt about my race. Yeah. 
That makes um, sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it's still something I'm definitely struggling with, I think, in the gender space of being in that non-binary category and not kind of fitting into what I certainly perceive as kind of like the traditional trans narrative that like the mainstream media is aware of. Yeah. Um, it's a little silly, but like I always, I think I'm still kind of like searching for like more people who are like me, more people who like have a more wobbly journey. Um, cause like I was reading, um, Elliot Page's memoir recently, which was great. Um, but I was like, there was that moment when he was like, oh yeah, I knew since I was four years old. I was like, oh, oh, okay. That's, that's not me. <laughs> that's not like me. Um, and of course, obviously great. That's his gender journey, but there's always going to be a moment in my head where I'm just kind of like, shoot, am I fake? Did I make this up? Oh no. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me because when we live in the more liminal spaces, you know, which, yeah, as well, I'm, I'm also bi, I'm non-binary, I'm, you know, conditionally white because at the moment that I open my mouth, people are like, well, where are you from? Where are you really mm-hmm. from? You know, it's not the same experience that even, you know, uh, my kids have a different experience because they don't mm-hmm. have an accent, right? But like even the, the non-Anglo accent, just like, it's a question mark, right? Mm, about racialized mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and and while also benefiting from my privilege, of course. So it's it's that liminal space, right, where mm-hmm. you're like, I don't fully belong here, and I've not been, and I don't fully belong there. And I think with them, there is you know so much cisgenderism and so mm-hmm. much, um, just so much rigidity in the world, mm-hmm. right? That if you are in that kind of, I love what you said, like the wobbly journey, right? Or the yeah. Wobbly. Basically, like, yes, I felt like this sense of kind of embodied resonance. I was like, yes, I feel like my whole life has been a wobbly journey for mm-hmm. the past five decades, you know. And uh, at least now we're having more conversations. Like, non-binary wasn't even a thing when I mm-hmm. was like, well, I guess I'm genderqueer, but genderqueer doesn't quite fit. And can mm-hmm. I even claim that, right? Am I enough, right? That's exactly, yeah. Enough. Am I anything enough, right? It can be so... Mm-hmm. So stressful, and um, well, and I and I wonder how all of that also kind of impacts your um, your journey or your voice as a creator, right? Because it's like, are there moments when you you have asked yourself, I don't know, oh, do I know enough about this experience to write about this, or do I, I don't know if you've ever had those moments? Oh, constantly, yeah. Um, I think you know, going back to my explicitly trans character whose name is Jasper by the way he's a werewolf he's cute he's good um with him it's it's funny because I think looking back I was like I was freaking out about this way too much um (laughs) but like I was pretty antsy about writing that backstory um and like there are some elements where I just like I just need to write this in a way that will reflect me because like I just I felt weird writing a very traditional trans story because I felt because it's so separate from what I experienced that what I ended up writing for him, and this is you know going to be in book two, is that he came to gender in that kind of like thinking about it way that I did, where for him it was just kind of like I had this moment in the story where uh, he, you know he he grew up on a farm and you know he had a lot of animals growing up and he wanted to name this one pet pig Jasper because he liked the name and then his brothers were like that, that, that's a girl pig you can't name that girl pig a boy name and he was just like. But why do names have gender? Why can't you just name it how you want? And that kind of just slowly unraveled into like, well, 
if the name can be whatever, you know, why can't, why does hair have to be gendered? Why does this have to be gendered? Why does that have to be gendered? And he just kind of stumbled into it through this kind of like logic problem in a way. Um, yes. So mm-hmm. that's the part that felt the most authentic to me, but I still felt kind of like, well, he's a little bit more masculine than I am. What if I'm doing this wrong? So I actually brought in a sensitivity reader um, to, to double check Jasper's story. Um, and I think currently I probably wouldn't, wouldn't feel the need to do that. But like at the time, that was only a couple of years ago, I still felt like, oh, I got to check this with like a real trans person, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I I know that feeling and it can be, and it's so interesting though, because at the same time, kind of what we read can be so influential, right? So now mm-hmm. you're going to have this graphic novel that's probably going to mean a lot to some young people because yeah, I'm also a person who's made sense of my own identity through studying and reading you know i used to mm-hmm. teach like women's studies i had this fascination with gender for forever <laughs> i wonder why you know i was not trans at the time i was actually like oh it must be internalized misogyny my oh my gosh around, you know my gender mm-hmm. so there was a lot of unpacking of that and um oh i was going somewhere and then i lost myself but oh yes this <laughs> idea that we can find ourselves in in books in graphic novels you mentioned anime before i think that mm-hmm. was one of the Blessing growing up in Italy in the 70s and 80s, anime and manga were huge. And I was obsessed wow. with some anime. Uh, I think in English, the title got translated The Rose of Versailles. Oh, like, yes. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like her dad wanted a boy, and so she's raised as a boy. And it was like my favorite, you know. Mm-hmm. I've watched every episode and in hindsight, but I had no language, right? I didn't yeah. know there was about my gender, but I was so drawn to this character, right? And was probably also a little non-binary now looking back. But I think that animation, especially animation, I think in some ways, because you can do something that is so different than just kind of real live action, right? With animation, Mm -hmm. I think you can build, it's like what you were saying, that queerness without necessarily Mm -hmm. the name or the label on it. And I think that anime does that a lot. There's a lot of queer sensibility in a lot of anime in my experience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think like, there's also like, I mean, I feel like that's shot off like 20 different like topics for me. Cause I do like, I mean, I am fascinated by anime and gender because Japan is such like a rigidly binary gender space in so many ways, you know, and often like kind of behind, you know, even like the U S in a lot of spaces when it comes to queer rap, but it also has this like strong tradition of fictional queerness um, which I think is really interesting. And like, and that's a whole dissertation. But I think what's really cool about drawn media is that you are not limited by the realities of flesh. You know, yeah. you know, I think now, again, having spent even more time on like trans Reddit, I'm like so aware of like, here's what you can change with hormones. Here's what you can change with surgeries. Here's this, here's that. And here's all these different options. Here are the realistic limitations. Um, and so... And obviously, like all of those cost money, and so not accessible to a lot of people, and this and that, and all these things can come into into play. Whereas, like, you can just draw any old thing you want, you know. Um, yeah, there's the freedom in that. I would imagine. I'm I'm not a drawer, but I'm imagining that there's a lot of freedom in being able to do that. Yeah. What's funny is that, like, I've always resisted drawing self portraits, um, and again, probably tied to a gender thing. It's like, it just never. It's always felt weird to me. I would draw like one, and then I'd stop. Um, so I've always drawn my little characters instead. Um, but I think just the other week I was like, oh, 
if I want to imagine like where I want to go next gender wise, I could just draw myself and what would that look like? And then I did. And it was like, I felt like I cast a magic spell. I was like, oh my God, am I, am I allowed to draw? I like looking back and forth, like, am I allowed to draw this? Like, you know? Um, and it was like, it felt like very powerful in that moment to be literally able to just like, I can just draw what I want to look like in the future. You know, that's a really, I mean, that's a very special skill that I'm very happy that I have. <laughs> yeah, that is so wonderful. I, it does sound like a style in some way, right? Because you're kind mm-hmm. of imagining and manifesting and that is so beautiful. Oh, I feel like I could have this conversation forever, but I want to be respectful of your time because I know you have another appointment after this. So uh, maybe we'll have to have a part two to kind of pick up, you know, gender and Victorian horror. There's so many things yeah. we could have talked mm-hmm. about, you know, gender and culture. That's such a big topic. Oh my goodness. Yes. So many mm-hmm. feelings about that in so many ways. But, but for now, I want to, like I said, be respectful of your time. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you really were hoping that we would talk about so that, that you wanted oh, gosh. gender stories listeners to know about um, you or about your work? Again, um, I completely agree with you. I feel like this could go on for hours. Um, I feel like I have so much to talk about, but I feel like in terms of like the really important stuff, I feel like we did hit, um, you know, wanted to highlight the queerness in my story, wanted to highlight my queer journey. So yeah, I'm, I'm good. That's wonderful. Well, thank you. And if people want to get hold of the glass scientist or find out more about your work, um, I know I'm going to have the link tree in kind of mm-hmm. the episode description. But is there anything that people could do to support your work? Like, could they pre-order your book? Could they write a review of your wonderful graphic novel? What do you need from your readers to support you? Yes. Yeah, so the the best thing you can do if you're watching, listen, watching or listening to this on the day that drops, October 2nd, um, the best thing you can do is pre-order The Glass Scientist. This is going to be the last day that you can do this. Um, and if you do pre-order, um, I can give you a little thank you gift of his little goodies that I have made myself. Um, so that is the best way that you can support me today. Um, and if you are listening to this anytime after today, the best thing you can do is, of course, you can always buy the book. It never hurts. Um, you know, just Google the glass scientists. Um, you can pick it up at your local bookstore or online, all the places. Um, but leaving a review on, you know, Amazon or Goodreads or wherever you are leaving reviews really, really helps. Um, and helps, you know, I think it helps the algorithm find me. I'm not really sure, but that sounds about right. Um, so all those things are great. Um, you can also read The Glass Scientist because it is, it did begin its life as a webcomic. So you can also continue to read it online at www.theglassscientists.com. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, so please support kind of queer representation and order The Glass Scientist, read it, um, get the book, uh, read the webcomic, uh, support Sage's work. And thank you, Sage, for being with us today. I really appreciated this conversation. Uh, like I said, I could have gone on and on about so many different topics. So let's make some time maybe uh, to have some of those conversations next year if you're up for it. I would love that. Let's absolutely do that. Um, and again, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Um, again, wish I could stay longer, but I have to get back to work. So <laughs> I, I know that feeling. Gender mm-hmm. stories is definitely a labor of love. And and on that note, dear listeners, and for some of you now watchers, now that the gender stories on YouTube as well as every podcast listening platform, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for supporting 
this work of exploring gender with so many wonderful people and so many different topics. Until next time.